Welcome back to the second hour of tonight's Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, waging the all-out struggle for truth from a uh, log cabin in the woods of Western Wisconsin. We talk about all of the controversial topics on this Sorry. show. Anything that's Mailbox taboo to talk full. about at the dinner to table. send an SMS notification, uh, press five. We'll talk about it here. And right now we're getting ready to talk about the end times or the Akhiru Zaman. That's uh, a perennial fascination. And, hello, hello. And I think we finally got our guest, uh, Robert Singer. He's a, a bit of a self-taught expert on eschatology. This and he's convinced Alan. that the world will end in 2023. Hey, Ro- welcome, Robert. Good to have you back. Hello, Robert. Hello, hello. You Please leave you your message Alan? for... Oh, that's, that's Robert's message. Robert Singer. Hello, Robert. <laughs> Sorry, is, mailbox is full. To oh, send an SMS notification, we'll, we'll press five. We'll figure out a way to get in touch with them. Let's see here. Uh, the problem is that so many people these days seem to have these telephones that are programmed to reject uh, anonymous phone calls. I can't imagine why anybody would want that. But uh, anyway, so here's uh, is this Robert's number. I don't know if this is the same one that we just tried. And uh, let me see. It's always fun trying to get, yeah, that's, that's the same number. So it's, I'll tell him to fix his phone so that we can call him. Okay. Uh, hey, Robert, uh, fix your phone, fix, fix your phone. So it accepts, uh, anonymous calls. So hopefully that will work. And I, I think we might have some kind of a Skype handle for him, too. Let me see. Here's I'm going to send uh, my producer, uh, my very brilliant producer, uh, his Skype handle. Okay. And see whether that will bring him in. Uh, one, one way or another, we're going to get Robert on here and talk about the end times. Hi. Uh, hello, Robert. Is that you? Hello? Finally. Yeah. Yeah. Finally. Okay. Yeah, we were trying to break through your protection against uh, anonymous calls, and I think we finally succeeded. Thank you. So I, I've been introducing you and, and mentioning your uh, self-taught eschatology. Uh, I, I think you're self-taught. I mean, how did you get into eschatology? Oh, boy. By the way, thank you for having me on the show. I, I, I consider it a, a giant compliment. Um and uh, let's see, I'm going to try to shorten this story. I was not, it came about because of 9-11. <laughs> Almost really? everything, all the writing and everything that I've done came about because I got involved in the 9-11 truth movement before I found out it was formed before 9-11. And through a bunch of synchronicity and providence, I met a bunch of people and I got um, a book that I thought was related to 9-11, which was the Cassandra Prophecy by Ian Gurney. And to try to shorten this story, uh, you put in the description of the, of the show that I'm on this list of the prophecy of the world visionaries about 2023. Right. And you, you see Ian Gurney is there. Indeed. And, so he published his book in 1999. Yes. Yes, he did. 
And I got it by accident in, I think, 2003. I wasn't looking for anything to do with eschatology. It, I bought the book by mistake. And I happened to read it. And that's how I got involved in basically taking another look at history and realizing that World War One, World War Two, and the Holocaust were about getting the people called Jews to a place called Palestine. Indeed. You still there, Robert? Mm. Uh, like he dropped. I'll see if I can get him back in for you, Kevin. Okay, thanks. Yeah, it looks like... Uh... Robert maybe wasn't supposed to mention <laughs> that the world wars Jews were designed Palestine. to get the Jews to Palestine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boy, that, that supercomputer in Tel Aviv is really quick these days, isn't it? It just cuts yeah, you right off the moment you I say that. We got, hey, Robert. Back. <laughs> what happened I, to you, Robert? <laughs> I, I don't know. I was talking, and then I noticed that it was gone. Yeah, you, you said the world wars were designed to get the Jews back to Palestine, and boop, you were gone. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> in, in, in reading his book, that's what you come to the conclusion is he's saying that was quote a prophecy and that it came true in 1948 and then there's another there's two other prophecies that have to do with 1967 and 1978 and Gurney's view is that it was a prophecy that God put in the Bible and I'm saying it was a timeline And he dropped again. He dropped again. Okay. So maybe the uh, cosmic forces are, are aligned against uh, revealing the fact that the world's going to end in 2023. Uh, or maybe <laughs> we're just the victims of lousy technology. I don't know. I'm not the victim of lousy technology anymore. I've got fiber optic. I may be in a log cabin in the woods, <laughs> but I've got fiber optic, so it's not my fault. <laughs> Here, I've got, I've got another idea. I have another phone. Maybe this other phone will work better. Can I give you that number? Uh, yeah. Do you want to give it on the air or do you want to just email it? If you give it on the oh, air, yeah. you're going to have a lot of cranks calling you and asking about your 2023 prophecy. <laughs> yeah, let me let me send it to you. We'll talk for a second. When it goes out <laughs> the next time. Okay. Okay. So, uh, okay. So go, go ahead and, and send. You'll try the other number if it goes out again. Maybe it'll work this time. So. Okay. No. Okay. So, I, I didn't mean to insult my listeners, by the way. They're not all cranks, just maybe a few of them. <laughs> no, I actually have very smart listeners, for the most part. Yeah, that would be funny. Uh, so, uh, did I leave off that he his his book is talking about a prophecy, and I'm talking about my interpretation was it was a milestone in a game that was achieved by a hidden hand. And we'll save that for a second. But so that's how I got involved. I accidentally got this book and I read it and it led me into researching uh, history starting at World War One. And it, to me, it was you can't get your head around anyone being able to manipulate the events from World War One, World War Two and the Holocaust to get the Jews. OK, then he gets zapped again. So we do have another number for him. So maybe maybe we could try that other number, the, yeah, we'll the 303 number. Another number now. and Okay. Hopefully revealing his area code isn't going to get him in too much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's always uh, fun doing live radio. Uh, but 
I'm sure we'll we'll manage to get this show uh, working here before the world ends. Uh, Let's try this one. Okay, we got you on a new phone now, Robert. Uh, so so yeah, you're talking you're talking about the uh, World War One, World War Two. Uh, uh, and uh, many people are, of course, wondering, well, what are these world wars and the return of Jews to Palestine, the so-called return? What, what does this have to do with uh, eschatology and the end of the world? Well, because if if you OK, so here I can I can answer that. I can give you two answers uh, to that. No. Two, two response. One response will answer two questions. So why am I on that list of the prophecy of world visionaries about 2023? It's because Ian Gurney spent 10 years of his life studying three verses of the Bible that showed that there would be a Jewish state in 1948, 1260 years from 68 A.D., the Jews would get control of East Jerusalem in exactly 1967, which is 1,279 years from 688 A.D., and that they will have be theoretically at peace, the Camp David Peace Accord, which was 1,290 years from 688 A.D., which is 1978. So he spent 10 years of his life analyzing those verses, and he proved that eschatology and without numerology or gematria, he proved that that those verses specifically said 48, 67, and 78 will happen. Well, I took a look at it, and I said, wait a minute. Those events did happen. If you subtract the integers 12, uh, 1260, 1279, and 1290 from those dates, you get 688 A.D., Therefore, he didn't have to do all that work because it's statistically impossible that those events happened in exactly the time frame that the Bible said they would. Okay, and uh, I know with some of these biblical prophecies, uh, it's it's not always clear that the you know, they're really saying what the um, eschatologists want them to say. So. You know, how, how obvious is it that a particular biz- biblical passage is referring to, say, 1967 and so on? Oh, no, there, there, uh, we could go, go into it in, um, no, there, there are absolutely, those Bible passages are absolutely, no one will dispute that they're talking about the quote return. You mentioned the return, which isn't the same thing as the Messiah coming back. The return is when the Jews got to Israel when they're not supposed to be there. You know that they're not allowed to establish a Jewish state till the Messiah comes back, right? Right, of course. Yeah, that, that's what Naturi Karta has been trying to point out to the world Jewish community for many years now. Yes. So, so you have um, you you have uh, an interesting thing because before 1933, I think. You know, there was Aliyahs where they tried to get Jews to go to Palestine. And I'm, I don't know if you remember this, but they wouldn't go. They refused. It was uh, an agrarian economy. They'd have to go and be farmers or live on a kibbutz. And they wouldn't go. And so if you had a, <clears throat> a hidden plan or a milestone in a game to get them to go to Palestine, I think you would agree World War II and the Holocaust worked pretty well. 
Mm-hmm. And and indeed, for people who are skeptical about this claim that the two world wars were perhaps even orchestrated, but certainly instrumental in uh, pushing Jews to occupy and invade Palestine uh, and the Zionist project, uh, read From Yahweh to Zion by Laurent Guyenot. Uh, that Guyenot is, is G-U-Y-E-N-O-T. And Yahweh is Y-A-H-W-E-H, From Yahweh to Zion is the book. I actually translated and published that book because I think it's so important. And Laurent is a French PhD historian who makes a very good case that, indeed, uh, high up in the echelon of the people who helped create those world wars and run those world wars were Zionists who knew that these world wars would be necessary for their Zionist project. World War I was necessary to get the Ottoman Empire out of Palestine, and the Ottomans were never going to give Palestine to the Zionists, as the Rothschilds and the Zionists had been demanding for decades, and the Ottomans had been refusing. So they, the Ottomans had to be defeated in World War I so that Britain could grab Palestine and hand it to the Zionists, and indeed, the Zionists, uh, with the Balfour Declaration, essentially cut a deal with the Brits to help them win the war in return for Palestine. That's World War One. And then, as you said, World War Two, with its uh, Holocaust uh, sacred story, uh, finished the job. So those two world wars, all they really accomplished, and perhaps all they were ever really designed to accomplish, was to further the Zionist project. So what is that? It's like over 100 million people murdered uh, in, in order to oppose the will of God and push the Jews into Palestine against the will of God uh, and before the Messiah comes. I, I like that. Could I offer a, a little variation of that? Sure. Well, World War One is considered a pointless tragedy by historians, isn't it? Well, yeah, it was so pointless that in you know the Americans right. after but World it, War One said we'll, we'll never get in a war again like this. Right. It wasn't pointless if the goal was to end isolationism around the world temporarily and create the League of Nations, which led to the United Nations, which created an entity that could give a, a land to a people on their own. In other well, words, before well, well, World War One, there was no way to give. Palestine to the Jews. No, no, wait, wait, that's actually, uh, I don't think that's correct, though, because, in fact, the United Nations never did give Palestine to the Jews. It, it, the, only the Security well, Council could have done that, and there was a totally non-binding and ultimately meaningless vote of opinion in favor of this Zionist plan uh, by the General Assembly, but that has no force of law whatsoever. The United Nations never did give Palestine to the Jews, not one well, inch of it. In November. In November 28, 1947, UN Resolution 181 was passed. By the General most, Assembly. It's, that's not binding. Yeah, m- most people agree that's what allowed the Jews to get Palestine. Yeah, but that's nonsense. The General Assembly has also passed uh, innumerable resolutions ordering the uh, Zionist interlopers out of the ver- many parts yeah. of Palestine that they overran, and it's been totally ignored because those those are totally non-binding resolutions. If a bi- only a, uh, the Security Council can pass a binding resolution. So the United Nations never did give a single square inch of Palestine to the Jews. That was simply a vote of opinion. Okay, but it, it, it was it, it reflected a view that the Holocaust was so horrific that they why didn't they give them Germany? 
what, what, did, what did the Arabs in Palestine have to do with World War II? If they were going to do anything, I'm just saying the whole thing was irrational, but it did of course. reflect a world opinion that the Jews could have Palestine. And it, people will, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you, but whether their resolution was binding or not, but I think most historians would agree that it, it led to the creation of the major the, the state of Israel. Yeah, that, that's right. And by the right. way, Herzl, Herzl said there would be a Jewish state in 50 years, in 1897. Did you know that? Uh, no, I didn't. So and he most actually... People say he, yeah, I'm sorry, most people say he was off by one year, but he wasn't. Because 1897 in 50 years is 1947, and that's when they passed UN 181. Hmm, that's very interesting. Again, I'm not so sure if UN 181 is all it's cracked up to be, but that's still uh, quite okay. interesting. And certainly there's a kind of intergenerational plan at work here. And, of course, I think the place to go to figure out what that plan is is uh, the year 1666, when Shabtai's V, the self-proclaimed uh, Antichrist Messiah, uh, he said he was a Jewish Messiah. He's now called a false Messiah, but but he uh, essentially led the Jews back to Palestine. Modern Zionism begins with Shabtai Zvi saying, we're going to go back to Palestine against the will of God, and I am the, the Jewish Messiah, a.k.a. the Antichrist. Uh, and, and meanwhile, we're going to systematically violate the Ten Commandments, thou shalt kill, thou shalt commit adultery, etc., etc. Uh, and so those, those teachings were essentially the, the key to the whole Zionist project, which is, again, about systematically uh, violating the will of God on behalf of Satanism. So Zionism is really a form of Satanism, and it always has been. It became sort of more of a secular attack on religion, which is also, of course, Satanist uh, in the 19th century, uh, because that was the spirit of the age, but it really begins with the pure Satanism of Sabtai Zavi. I, I did some research about Zionism, and I was, I don't know if you would agree that the Rothschilds were behind the Zionist movement. Absolutely, and the Rothschild family is notoriously part of that Satanic uh, right. cult of Shabtai Zavi, and, and indeed I, I had uh I've had Barry uh, Chamish on my show talking about that, and his various yeah. Jewish mentors, uh, including Rabbi Antelman, have gone into great detail about how the Rothschild Satanist dynasty is part of the. It follows this these hidden this hidden satanic cult uh, of Sabbatianism. Okay, so m- most people, including me and these other people, believed that the Rothschilds were behind it because the family symbol is the hexagram, which is basically a satanic symbol. And it was forced on the Israeli flag in 1948 after the war. You know that, right? You know that the, 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 that's not the, the, the Jewish star. That's not the, uh, what they call that six, <laughs> that hexagram, um, they think it's a Jewish symbol. And it mm-hmm. happens to be the Rothschild family symbol and it's a hexagram. And after the war, by the way, they wanted to put the, um, the Mizzou's, no, they wanted to put, I forgot, I blanked out, but the Rothschilds did force that symbol on the flag. And because of that, and because most of history is full of all kinds of uh, quotes that the Rothschilds are behind every war, they're behind every calamity, and because they bought 90,000 acres in Palestine in 1892, I concluded 
like a lot of other people, that they were behind the Zionist movement. And then about, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I was uh, in uh, Leisure World pretending to be retired. And uh, I met Edwin Perkins, who is uh, a prominent USC, um, uh, what do you call it, not a teacher, but whatever, you know, uh, teaches. He was an expert in world in uh, the American Revolution. So was he pretending to be retired, too? No, he really was retired. (laughs) <laughs> how, how did you pretend to be retired did you like do a, do a retirement parody card sort of like my vaccine parody card well my sister has a place there in leisure world so i went uh, there and i started doing activities you know that people tired to see if i could stand it and i couldn't of course i i played bingo and i i went to these things but i but by providence i i made an acquaintance with edwin perkins and I wanted to pitch him on my idea of the Revolutionary War, which also makes no sense because the price of tea actually went down. But in any event, I, I get him to uh, Starbucks and I'm, I'm going on and on about my ideas about the Rothschilds and about World War One, World War Two, to see if he is interested. And he rolls his eyes and he says, Bob, this isn't anything I'm going to talk about. And he leaps. And about a week later, he calls me. He says, Bob, you need to meet me at the Starbucks. And I go there, and he's got the two volumes of The House of Rothschilds by Neil Ferguson with him. He was paid to review those two books that I had never read. They weigh about 10 pounds. <laughs> they're, they're an unbelievable resource about the Rothschild family. And when I read them, I learned three things that were so valuable. The first one was the Rothschilds allowed the, the what do you call it, the rumors and the beliefs that they control the world that were many of them very false because it gave them more power. They allowed that disinformation to stay in the history books because it made the family a powerful family. That's one thing I found out. Two is the family symbol was adopted by the Jewish people long before the Rothschilds did. So even 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 though it is a satanic hexagram, it, the Rothschilds it wasn't theirs. They actually were practicing Jews. I thought I didn't know they were. They were practicing Jews in the 1800s, and when they bought the 90,000 acres, it had nothing to do with Palestine. And they were absolutely opposed to the Zionist movement. Really? Absolutely opposed to so, it. So how, how did buying the 90,000 acres in Palestine not have anything to do with Palestine? It didn't. I, I forgot the exact reason they bought it. There was some agrarian reason that they thought it was uh, it was a thing for the family, but it had nothing to do with the Zionist movement. And but wait, wait a minute. Was wasn't so the Balfour Declaration uh, uh, pushed by by the reigning Rothschild of the time? Okay, but now we're the Balfour Declaration. We're about we're now in 1907 after 1917, I believe. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the 1890s when the Zionist movement was started. Oh, okay, so, so so you're arguing the Rothschilds were were not Zionists in the uh, in the 19th century. And I wouldn't have found this out if I hadn't read these two books. And by the way, I got in touch with Neil Ferguson later. I actually had an email exchange with him. I got to talk to him because it just blew me away that all that stuff in history. 
and was left there. And he said, Bob, they left it there on purpose because it made them more powerful. That's so interesting. Whatever, you, you, have to, you have to wonder if the yeah. Zionists are still doing that sort of thing by, you know, making it look like, oh, they can assassinate anybody anytime. And they, they kind of, uh, yeah, we totally own Hollywood and we own Congress. And there, there's this element of, you know, on the one hand, they call you anti-Semitic if you talk about their power. But on the other hand, there's a covert way that they foster that uh, that discourse on their power in such a way as to intimidate people. I, I like it. You're, you're sort of relating to it. Um, <clears throat> but what I did also discover, and I think we talked about it when we talked about San Bernardino, you, when you had me on the show about San Bernardino, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but when I went there, I told you I went to San Bernardino believing that no one died. I, I admitted it. I believed that no one died. And during my investigation, when I realized they died, that they did really die, I realized that people did things to make me think that no one died, that they don't know why they did them. And now if you, now if you look at the history of World War I and World War II and the, and the Rothschilds' participation in things that make them look like they were behind it, they did do a lot of things that facilitated it, but I'm now under the belief that they don't know why they did them. That's interesting. So, so are you positing some sort of hidden demonic force manipulating people without their knowledge? Well, now we're back to Plato's allegory of the cave. So and who's the... We're puppets and puppet masters. That's so all. so who, who are the people sh- sh- projecting the images on the wall of the cave then? If it's not the Rothschilds, who is it? <laughs> no, you, we're now we're now where I, I, I don't have an answer, but Plato was... A philosopher long before even the Bible was written, and he basically says there's an illusion, there's a veil, there's something going on behind a veil, and and we could be manipulated to do things that we don't know why we did them. In Scientology, by the way, I did investigate Scientology for that reason and to find out if auditing had something to do with it, and they have a belief that, quote, the devil made me do it. That that's the way they they refer to them being puppets. The devil made them do it. So so they actually believe it. Like usually when people you know people use that phrase, the devil made me do it, as kind of a sarcastic way of uh, you know casting aspersions on people who don't want to take responsibility for their own bad actions. Right. Yes. I, but the Scientologists I, I are, are, <laughs> they take it seriously. Huh? Well, it, it just turns out that there was when I was discussing this with this Scientologist. And I got into that people did things they don't know why they did them. And he said, Bob, we, we have a we have a phrase called that. The devil made me do it. I guess Flip Wilson was a Scientologist then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, well, that, that's that's interesting. You know, and that kind of juxtaposes with stuff that you know we've heard from other radio guests like Gordon Duff, the executive or whatever, his senior editor at Veterans Today, who's come on the show and said that he believes, or his his sources, I guess, told him that the Rothschilds have some kind of infestiture ceremony. Now, this isn't not every Rothschild, but some people in the family who are carrying on a certain dark family tradition have some kind of ceremony where they invite a demonic infestation, and then this demon or extra-dimensional entity uh, comes and kind of clings to them for the rest of their lives and uh, kind of, you know, helps them make the kinds of decisions, guides their decisions and 
so so according to your paradigm that this sort of help from uh, you know an extra di- dimensional entity outside of normal time would partly account for the uh, the multi-generational aspect of all of this like normally how would there be a conspiracy going down through many 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 generations like why would you know wh- how would somebody make sure that their pro- their ridiculous project such as you know violating god's will by bringing jews to palestine why would they care so much about that that like you know set something in motion that would make that happen three centuries later and how how would you make sure that people would still care about that even one generation later much less less many generations and so this uh theory that duff apparently he says he believes in of the uh, the connection with the extra dimensional entities who by the way he thinks are extremely malign uh, would be one way of explaining that. And that way we could say that most of the people in the Rothschild family probably wouldn't know what was going on. Only the ones who actually did get in touch with these djinn or extra dimensional entities would uh, have some idea what's going on. But even they might be manipulated by these entities in such a way that even they didn't really know what was going on. Thank you. Uh, I, I like that. Um, yes, there's there's something going on behind it. I think there's something going on behind a veil that just doesn't that we can't understand in our reality. Um, so, so where are we now? What, what would you like to? Well, well, I guess we should maybe kind of try to zoom in on the sort of most basic, uh, strongest evidence for the world ending in 2023 oh, because okay. you know if you if you convince enough listeners of that then they're going to have to make sure they have a really good 2022 which would probably be a good thing even if the world doesn't end in 2023 so so it's like you know like building 7 is to 911 right you, you know, straight, a very simple concise uh, inarguable piece of evidence <laughs> that 911 wasn't as what we were told give me the building 7 version of why the world's going to end in 2023 Perfect. You, 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 thank you. You, you got us to the right point. So here's, here's how we get to 2023. 1948 happened. 1967 happened. 1978 happened. Well, the Bible has one more number from 688 AD. That is, it says Daniel 12:11. Jesus will come back in 1335 days from the abomination of desolation. And the abomination of desolation is identified as 688 A.D. And if you read Ezekiel, you know that when the Bible in Daniel talks about 1,335 days, it's 1,335 years. So, so, so stop a second. Where, where, where do we get 688 from? Well, that's that's what uh, Leon Gurney did 10 years of his life to identify that 688 A.D. was the abomination of desolation. And what the Bible says is the Jews will be in Israel in 1260 years from the abomination of desolation. And that was 688 AD. It says they'll get control of East Jerusalem in 1279 years from the abomination of desolation. And the Camp David Peace Accord will be, or some kind of peace will happen in 1290 years from the abomination of desolation. And that, and if you add 688 AD, which is what Ian Gurney spent 10 years of his life to identify that that was the abomination of desolation, then you get 1948, you get 1967, and you get 1978. And so if you're going to argue that the Bible's got those three dates correct and is wrong about 2023, okay, but I don't think so. 
But by the way, so that's what I mentioned. 1335 is the is the last integer in the Bible, and 1335 plus 688 is 2023. Okay, by the last integer in the Bible, you mean like if if you're reading the text, the last time you you get to any number or integer, that's the one. Yeah, it's, in the it's at the very end. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about numerology. It specifically has 1260, 1279, 1290 as an integer, and 1335 as an integer in the Bible. And Ian Gurney did an exegesis of those passages that took him 10 years, that he correctly, people are not arguing with him, that he correctly said the Jews will be in Palestine in 48, and Jesus is coming back in 2023. Hmm, okay, and, and so when you say the last integer in the Bible, by the Bible, do you, not, you mean? No, not not the last integer, the last of these four integers. Oh, that, okay, that gotcha. in, Yeah, okay. no, that integer is in Daniel twelve eleven. It says Jesus okay. comes back, and by the way, people will argue and they say, oh, no, the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour, but the Bible says doesn't say they don't know the year. Hmm. It does say you don't know the day or the hour Jesus is coming back, but it it doesn't say anything about the year. That and does so, sound a little nitpicky to me, but what do I know? I mean, I, I like in, in the Quran as well, we're told that that nobody knows you know, exactly, uh, and and that is has been kind of you know only God knows uh, precisely when you know the end times come and and when these events happen, but that hasn't discouraged eschatologists from trying to get a little more precise. Well, Daniel says, Daniel knows, Daniel says he's coming back in 1,335 years. It says, blessed he who was there. Uh, I, I don't know the exact, I can't quote the exact thing, but you can find it. It says, blessed he who's still around in 1,335 days from the abomination desolation. And that's when Jesus comes back. And so now we're at the, now if you, if you want to, let's look at go back to now what happened in 2015 or do you want to stay on this one well sure because back then i think when i had you on the show in 2013 um wasn't there some talk of obama like being the antichrist or something i i'm happy to talk about barack hussein obama i could talk for hours about it um but just just so we before we go to that yeah no we don't want hours on obama maybe maybe a couple of minutes (laughs) no no a couple of minutes but before we go to that, so in the prophecy of the world visionaries that magically, believe me, I have, I couldn't believe I got on there. You see, there is at least 15 references to 2023 besides the book of Daniel. Uh, St. Malachi says it's 2023. Nostradamus has a 2023. Paraclesis has it. So this 2023 number isn't just, um, from the um the bible it it appears in other things uh other writings about not only the end times but other prophecies so before we talked about 2015 i thought maybe you wanted to uh, you looked at some of the other people on there and yeah i've I've scanned it and and yeah i'm I'm not really an i'm not an expert on this uh i've you know i've read uh, sheikh imran hussein's work quite a bit and I'm I'm a, kind of confused, really, by most of the Jewish and Christian work on eschatology. Uh, and, and but I, I understand there's this, you know, there's talk of a tribulation. And and so 2023 is when Jesus comes back. Is that right? 
Yeah. So if if you're if you're going to say 2023 is the end, now you have to explain how come we're not in the tribulation. It had to start at the end of 2015. Seven. How do how do you explain that? Okay. So we we can talk about that. but I think I'll, before we do, <laughs> I, I just um, there's a couple things. I looked at some of the Islamic scholars that talked about 2023, and I found a book. I think I sent you the link to it. It's like 400 pages talking about 2023. And of course, in uh, Islam, there is no tribulation, is there? No, I've never heard any reference to that right. in Islam. Yeah, so there is no tribulation there. But what I found interesting was there was no reference in any of those pages about Obama being either the I, – I, I sent it to you – the Mahdi or the – what do you call it? Um, well, there, there's the Mahdi and then there's Jesus, of course. Uh, just, just like Christians, no, Muslims are also awaiting the return of Jesus. No, there's Dajjal, too. Oh, yeah, Dajjal is is the Antichrist. Yeah, Yeah. so there was nothing in there about Obama being either one of those things, (laughs) which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there there was really, from the the Muslim perspective, uh, there's supposed to be a big battle, I think, where the uh, basically the the Antichrist has established a lot of power on Earth, and uh, the Mahdi... Uh, sort of paving the way for Jesus uh, defeats the Antichrist. Okay, so, um, so let's let's make sure where we are now. I don't want to jump around. So I, I just mentioned that that I, I found it interesting that there was Islamic scholars and and um, they're not talking about Obama. And so if you want to now talk about Obama, we can. That's I want to make sure we're. Well, he's, he, yeah, I guess he's, he could be seen as the, the desolation of Obama nation. Uh, <laughs> but, but seriously, well, how, how would Obama fit? Because, um, you know, the, the Antichrist is, I mean, the, I don't know, the, the myth I understand of the Antichrist really does have to do with the uh, ruling the world from Jerusalem. And Obama didn't seem to do that. Okay. So, um, if we let's could we just take a step back a, a few seconds and take a look at um, Barack Hussein Obama, whose name was uh, Barry Sotero at the time he decided to go into politics. And you would ask, have to ask yourself, why would someone who had an American sounding name change it to an Arab terrorist sounding name to run for president or run for he ran ran for the Congress? Okay, so why when he first entered politics, why wouldn't he keep his Barry Sotero name? Why would he go back to Barack Hussein Obama? Does that make any sense? Well, when when did he go into politics? Oh, I'd have to go. I mean, it was it was obviously it was before 9-11. And so before 9-11, really, there would be no particular reason why a middle name Hussein would be that much of a problem, would there? Um. Let's see, 2000. Yes, he, yes, it was probably for, but, but okay, that, that's a good point. Uh, but one of the first, so that's one of my items that I'm wondering if you questioned it. But it's still, he could have kept the name Barry Sotero, but all right. 
So now he goes into politics, and I think you would agree he came out of nowhere when he ran for president. Nobody ever. Well, he, he was manufactured. Pretty. Obviously, he was. He's, he, his whole family is CIA nowhere. from the get go. Oh, I, I never heard that. I never. Well, of course, they are. Yeah, his, his, his his mother Ann Dunham or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. She 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 was working. She, she was a CIA anthropologist who was sent to Indonesia for the 1965 CIA genocide of Indonesia. She worked for, she went out and, and translated and worked with uh, parts of the country in order to help the CIA target people who would be tortured to death. And as they were tortured to death, they would scream out the names of other uh, so-called communists or, or rebels. And then those people would be tortured to death until they screamed out the names of other rebels. And so ultimately the CIA orchestrated the torture and murder of more than a million Indonesians. And Obama's mother participated in that torture murder of a million people. You know what? Thank you. I, I, I now, I, so maybe he is the Antichrist. Okay, so but I'm just trying to get to, if I could, that you would agree he came out of nowhere. And would you also agree he wouldn't have been president if they hadn't collapsed the economy? Uh, yeah, that's true. He did benefit from that. True. That's right. right. Yes. And the, the campaign was losing. They were worried. And that cheerleader, an old man, would have won the election and – what proves that is the demographic that that was did vote for uh, uh, Sarah Palin uh, was somebody looking for someone apolitical, and along comes Trump, who was apolitical, and that's how he got to be president. So let's put that aside. Well, so, yeah, but let's, let's. I think maybe we should put most of this aside, kind of zoom in on whatever it is about Obama that yeah. makes him the Antichrist. Yeah. No, I was just saying though that he would have lost the election if they hadn't collapsed the economy, that there was a demographic out there that was voting for Sarah Palin. So, okay. So now he becomes president. And, you know, one of the first things that when they gave him the peace prize, the Nobel peace prize, people questioned that, right? Uh, for good reason. Right. Okay. But again, the antichrist had to be someone that got the Nobel peace prize. Wait a minute. Wait, now, is, is that in the Bible? The antichrist is going to get the Nobel peace prize. Not the Nobel Peace Prize, but he's, uh, I don't have the exact term, but that, 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 that was consistent with the description. Okay, it fits the bill. Okay. Well, he's definitely an so, imposter. The Antichrist is an imposter. So, in a sense, uh, an imposter Peace Prize winner like Obama, sort of, I guess that sort of fits. Okay. So, before, before we, let, let's take, um, did you see, uh, the email, the sample email that I sent to Valerie Jarrett and uh, Matt Jaffe and all those people. Well, tell the listeners, give the listeners the, the short version of that. Yeah. Okay, so what happened when I was investigating that Obama was the Antichrist? I, I decided to do it from a bunch of different um, uh, different views, different, uh, what do you call it, different directions. And And by the way, the the gematria evidence that he's the Antichrist is overwhelming. You know, if you if you take a look at his name in all kinds of different languages and you turn the thing upside down. And and by the way, the Antichrist middle name has to be handsome. You know what Hussein means? Yeah, well, one translation, I suppose, could be beautiful. But but somehow that doesn't strike me as a good, a good name for the Antichrist because, you know, Hussein... 
is well for it's a very it's a very positive name and it's not just sort of like the word handsome sort of connotes sort of shallowness and, and emptiness but ha, no. ha, Hassan no, was saying that 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 Arabic root actually means beauty and would include right. sort of inner beauty as well uh, and Hussein is of course the great martyr of Karbala who was you know the person who stood up for yeah. what was right even if he had to give his life for it so somehow that being the middle name of the antichrist doesn't make sense to me well but but it says it says it has to hit that his middle name is that but anyway so what i did was i found a bunch of people that i knew were close to obama valerie jarrett matt jaffe in chicago and i i started sending them emails to say is this a good email to ask you a question and i I would do it that (laughs) way to to make sure that answered because then they could ignore me if I if I didn't get that one you know if I just sent what I wanted to send is an email <laughs> if you just emailed them out of the blue saying hey do you think your friend Obama is the Antichrist uh, you know you, <laughs> you might not get a response <laughs> right so I, I would start off with say is this a good email to ask you a question and then here's the here's the email that I sent I'll read it to you guys here's the one I sent to Jaffe it says Mr. Jaffe I know you're very busy and I apologize for contacting you but I've spent days trying to find an explanation for several statistically improbable coincidences surrounding our last real president, Barack Obama, one of the most outstanding presidents of all time, especially when you consider the Trump presidency. So I'm starting off, you know, showing them that you're, I'm you're buttering him up. Yeah, I'm buttering him up. Thank you. Okay, so what I would like to know, the next paragraph says, what I would like to know is whether you have heard anyone remarking on the amazing coincidence that on the night after Mr. Obama was elected president, the Illinois pick three and four lottery numbers were 666 and 7779, respectively. The statistical chance that the very night after Mr. Obama won the presidential election a lottery taking place in his own home state would produce a winning number 6667779 but this particular sequence is one in i guess it's 3 billion 650 million it's one in 3 billion 650 million that would be true that'd be true for any sequence of that number of digits so what's so special about this particular sequence besides three sixes uh, there's something about the seven 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 nine, but I forgot what it was. But let me go on. Okay, I think we should we should condense this Obama stuff a little bit more. Hang on. Okay, so then it says other probabilities are easier to understand. For example, the probability that he was born in Hawaii on the two hundred and sixteenth day of the year, which happens to be six times six by six. August 4th, 1961, is simple to calculate since there's only 365 days during which a person can be born. Also, on the 666th day in office, November 7th, 2010, he appointed six judges to the district court. And on the day he left office, January 21st, 2017, was exactly 666 months from the day he was born. Next paragraph. To be clear, I'm not suggesting or believe that there's any other significance to these numbers other than there being synchronistic events. That is the experience of two or more events that appear to be causally unrelated or unlikely to occur 
by chance, yet are experienced as occurring together in a meaningful manner. And, 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 and so I, I bet the people, when you sent these emails to Obama's friends, I bet they responded, okay, you, you caught him. He is the Antichrist. Okay. And then I, I said, I told him about Jung, Carl Jung, a synchronicity. And uh, any help in shedding light on the amazing coincidence of these events would be greatly appreciated, respectfully. So I sent this at least to 25 people that have close connection to Obama, trying to get one of them to say something about these. I didn't, I didn't get any into any of the uh, Kabbalistic or the uh, geometria of his name. There's, there's overwhelming evidence that I could have put in, but I only just put these coincidences and no one responded. No one Somehow that doesn't anything. surprise me that much. But, you know, Robert, maybe we, we should, you know, this, the, the Obama thing is going on kind of long. So let's just briefly uh, say, okay, so you're convinced that if Obama's the Antichrist, how does that fit in with sort of the world ending in 2023 and there's been no tribulation since 2015 and so on? I'm, I'm kind of lost, frankly. Okay. Okay. Because Ban Ki-moon, the U.N. Secretary General of the United Nations in 2015, I claim, intentionally made it impossible for Obama to be the president of the world. Well, how how could that have ever been possible in the first place? Well, most people think that somebody from a member state can't be the secretary general. Is that what you believe? Uh, I, I had no idea, but I didn't know that was an issue and nor did I realize being secretary general of the UN was being president of the world. Well, if, can you, can close you enough, agree? I suppose. <laughs> well, if you, I think you would agree. Where, where was Obama going to go after he was president of the United States? Do you think he was going to go home and play golf? Mm, I, figured was, I thought he was going to fly to Epstein's Island probably and, and have a you know, field day there. I don't know. I mean, but I just figured he'd do what usual, you know, slimy, corrupt politicians do after they uh, retire from their, their big day and basically, you know, steal a lot more money like the Clintons did. No, he, he wanted to be, in fact, um, now I forgot the prime minister of Israel. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, you re- which one? Should, uh, uh, um, I mean, I mean the, the the current prime minister or the previous prime minister, yeah. uh, Netanyahu? Yeah, Netanyahu. Netanyahu was very concerned he was going to be the secretary general of the UN. He was. Well, I think actively, Netanyahu is a is a much better candidate for Antichrist, isn't he? I mean, he's the okay, guy yeah. who's trying. He's trying to set up world government from Jerusalem. He's trying to you know to to make the Zionist entity the center of world dominance, right? And Obama hated him, which, to my mind, was okay. basically to Obama's credit. No, I, I'm with you, but but hang on a second, because we're we're trying to condense like ten hours of. And we only and have, we, and minutes we only have five minutes left in the show, so you'd really, you know, better give us okay. the gist of what people right. need to know to prepare for the end in 2023. Well, I, I, I can't. Yeah. Well, no. Now we were talking about why the tribulation, or why we're not in the tribulation. So, what's the short answer to that? Why aren't we in the tribulation? Because Ban Ki Moon intentionally made it impossible for Obama to be the Secretary General of the UN. So he undercut the will of God as expressed through the scriptures? How did Ben Ki-moon ever do that? He changed the procedures. Up until 2015, it was, tri- it was secret who was running for the secretary general. 
in 2015 was the first time you knew who was the candidates. And if you were someone from a member state and people all over the world knew it, they would jump out and scream and yell and you could never elect him. But if they didn't know until it came time for the vote, he could have got away with it. Mm-hmm. And I investigated that well as to I got I wanted to confront Ban Ki-moon and ask him, did you intentionally make those changes to stop Obama from being the secretary? So, so, so if Obama US? had if he'd been secretary general, there would have been floods and pestilence and war and all this sort of thing. And Ben Ki-moon saved us from that. OK, OK. I mean, we've had almost. some pestilence. Yeah. Now, hang on. Almost. I'm saying that there's there's this game and it had milestones in the game. And 9-11 was also a test that had to do with the game that failed. In other words, um, it was a test of the Earth's energy. We've talked about that already, haven't we? But in any event, because we were going to run out of time, I'm saying there's this, there was a game. And if the game had been won, then we would have had the tribulation and millions of people would have died a horrible death. But one side of the game, the, the good guys, we're going to call the good guys, were able to defeat the bad guys. And that caused events in history to change where the Antichrist couldn't fulfill his destiny because he couldn't be president of the world. So, so what happens if the Antichrist doesn't fulfill his destiny? Does, does Jesus come back anyway, or how does that work? Well, now you're asking me if I believe monotheism and whether I believe the story about Jesus. All I'm saying is Daniel 12:11 says whatever's going on here, and Nostradamus says it, St. Paraclesis says it, they say whatever's going on here ends in 2023. Hmm. So no matter is, what, Ben Ki Moon can't. Second, one second. And the difference is that if it ended according to the Bible, and they had won the game, then in 2015, the Antichrist would have emerged, made a peace in the Middle East, which Obama and Biden were working on in 2015, and then we would have had the tribulation, and millions of people would have died a horrible death during these seven years. And so because the one side that was supposed to win the game or one or two didn't, our ending has changed. And I think you'll agree, going back to 2015, in the news media, they would say things like this almost every day. We've never seen anything like this. I've never imagined anything like this, right? There were things in the news that people kept saying, this is so different. And I'm saying that's because, like in a game of football, even though one side is won, you have to play to the last the last inning or the last whatever you call it, baseball. You have to play to the last inning, even though one side is way ahead, don't you? Hmm. Okay. It, it still sounds so counterintuitive, so, though, that, that a, a right. Middle East peace would would cause millions of horrible deaths. And so the lack of peace, or no. i.e. war, no, no, would, would no, not. The Middle East, no, the Middle East peace was, uh, was a signature of the Antichrist's rise to power. It says that he will make peace in the Middle East, is what it says. Hmm. And by the way, if you want to, if you want the most, the most information about Obama being the Antichrist, is at the Five Doves website. Okay, uh, we'll have to 
send people there. And so, Robert, you're welcome to send me any more links I should put up at the show description, which people can find by going to truthjihad.com and clicking on the radio schedule link. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Robert Singer. Uh, I, I hope uh, I hope you're right that the world doesn't end in 2022, but I hope you're wrong. It doesn't end in 2023 either, but uh, only Allah knows, and I guess we'll find out. So take care. God bless. Well, thank you. Okay, thank you. Groupie Had Radio, back again next week. Groupie Had Radio.